0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Seeking Human podcast. My name is Dave Anderson. I'm joined by Claire Palmer, and today we have Yana Eggers, who's the CEO of Nara Logics. Yana, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Maybe give us a bit of background as to who you are, your your nerdiness, and what led you to start your company
1: um so yeah so i'm from arkansas and it's lovely i love i love arkansas i just couldn't live there anymore and i got pulled out of arkansas to go to um los alamos the national laboratory and uh so it's like ultimate nerd heaven and um, beautiful up in the mountains it was absolutely lovely um and i met a boy there and the boy got me to come to boston
0: oh Is that boy still on the scene?
1: He's gone. Um, He's not the one that I married, but I I found the one that I married um, here. So, so we're here, but um, yeah, so I started out a research scientist. I I left school. I didn't know what I was going to do after school. I was a math major and my whole family was accountants. And, um, and so they were like, how can you be a math major? What, what do you do with that? Um, and I ended up just sort of accidentally at, at Los Alamos because um, I didn't really know what a scientist was because I didn't have any of that in my, um, you know, around me. And um, so uh, that's when it was like, whoa, there's this whole different world. And my family was like, wow, mathematicians can do something. And um, they, weren't, they weren't dissing me at all. They just did just, we never had it in our perspective. And so that's where I got. I I just got very lucky. I worked um in in neural nets and genetic algorithms out there, but I was really just solving a problem as a tool for me. And uh went to graduate school and that was miserable. I loved, I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic, which I absolutely loved, but graduate school itself was was a drag and my boyfriend was here. And so my boyfriend from Los Alamos went out, went to Yale and then got a job here in Boston. And that's how I came to Boston. I was like, wow, oh, I love this place. So
0: you've got a long history in software development, right? So when, when did it progress from like when, when, cause obviously naturally we're talking a lot in our podcast about software, the evolution of software and the advent of AI when did these things start to merge together or when have they started to evolve? Like what's going on in your world when you sort of summarize to people and say, well, this is my thinking around software development and AI.
1: Um, Yeah, that's such a good question because for me, they were always merged. I was actually an AI person before I was a software engineer. I always said I was a programmer and I just picked up whatever tools um, because I was a research scientist, right? So we're not really, um, software engineers were just like, oh, grab this, try and make this work out. So um, I had early experience with AI, like I said, more than 30 years ago. Um, And uh, back then it was just the only reason you didn't use AI in business was really because it just took too much data and too much compute power. Out at Los Alamos, you were fine, right? Because we had all the supercomputer. That's why I started doing supercomputing is so that I could... Um, uh, actually do you do some of the um, compute that I needed to do um, so I, I'd say you know ha- <laughs> people um, have asked me like why now and it's really just because we have enough data and compute power compute has become a commodity and some data has come a commodity. I don't think people totally understand what good data is and and what good data for their applications are. Um, so that's where there's still quite a bit of a challenge. But it's just that it's there. I, I worked yeah, I worked at Lycos in the early days. This is in the mid '90s, and um, so we were doing an LP, of course, um, which which. You know, it wouldn't qualify as the NLP that we know today for AI, but back then it was. (laughs) You know, so our definition of AI continues to change as as computing has changed. Um, But back to your back to your question about software development. I mean, to me, we're treating them two separately um, and we're not bringing them together. So we're we're not saying what are the good practices that we had with software and how do we leverage that with with, um, AI and machine learning so we're we're not um, uh, using what we learned and how to develop good software.
0: So it's the chicken and the egg It's not even really true because you're saying this one's quite clear cut. The AI came before the software programming and software is just a way in which we can explore AI.
1: No, I, I was going to say, I do think it's actually the chicken and egg because it's like, it why does it matter which one was right. was first, right? I mean, yeah. it's kind of like, eh, both of them kind of were. I mean, obviously, we had early computers that were using software and and we had early computers that were using data to, to kind of control and and guide that software. Um, so so I, I would say that, you know, it doesn't quite matter what what i usually say is the algorithm is the chicken and the eggs are the data and the bacon which goes with chicken and eggs you know the bacon is your objective function so when we say you know us americans are obsessed with bacon so we say bring home the bacon so what what's driving that so that's really your what i call the holy trinity of ai Is is your algorithm, your data, and your objective function. And most people forget about the objective function. So they just run around trying to find, you know, trying to use an algorithm and find data for it, or they have data and they try and find an algorithm for it. And you really have to think of what am I trying to do? And so, you know, this is where people have gotten in trouble. Like, You have your Facebooks and, you know, that's widely um, known for, well, their objective or or YouTube, you know, there's some great stories about um, or studies about that where, you know, their their objective was engagement. And that objective really drives some bad, bad things.
0: (laughs) I failed at maths. I tried really, really hard. Um, I struggled to turn on my graphic calculator, um, which I think was a Casio or a HP. So don't judge me. But for the average person, the objective, it, it's like the outcome. What are you trying to achieve? Is that how you would summarize the objective?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's what do you value? What are you and a lot of people don't realize it, you know? They they just say Oh, well we were trying to get people to engage and it's like okay well what do you consider an engagement well i consider them watching the next video right mm. and like what really grabbed them to do the next video what got addictive um was taking them further down rabbit holes
0: this is where we because you got recommended to talk to trisha wong recommended us to talk to you and she asked it's almost like she asks a lot of the why questions. It's like so why are you doing this again? Sorry, like is this data just so you get an outcome and is this outcome actually going to help you in the end? And that's to your point, right? Like so what you get more engagements, but then could you be doing things that are morally corrupt as a result just to drive more or outcomes?
2: Losing, you know, losing profits by not having that objective in the first place. It's it was quite amazing to hear how many corporations didn't have an objective and then they wondered why it didn't work the algorithm for instance and yeah so i think that that's really interesting from that perspective as well you know and i'd really love to hear what Nara Logics does um to solve that in a way oh i'm so excited thank you <laughs> <laughs> As someone,
1: I, I love this industry. So I'll talk to you guys all day about it. And I'm had, please always ask more questions and say, well, explain this or that. I'm always happy to try. But um, so, so um, I was not a founder of Neurologics. Um, so they found me. And what they were looking for was someone who understood both the consumer side and enterprise because they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with themselves. Um, and they had a consumer app for recommending restaurants. Um, But the real underlying technology was much more about learning from data and um, we call them advisors now. So you can think of a restaurant recommender as an advisor, but really someone that's very much understanding you and your situation, which could also be the situation at a factory, right? And how is the output of my of my factory, so we have a customer does process engineering. What's the quality of the output going to be based on data, right? And so um, when I saw it, it really took me back to my early days, just out of when I left research science. Um, I I joined a company, another MIT startup that um, worked in supply chain optimization and so what we were doing was um, very simply one of our applications for example was getting um, uh, the best driver load assignment so so this driver should take this shipment for a customer Mm -hmm. and um, that could be there there are 500 different reasons why you might want to assign somebody um, everything from you know this gets him home and he's due to get home uh or um this gets the shipment there on time or um you know the nearest person can't take that load because they have a gun and you can't take guns into new york i mean it's all of these kind of crazy things that you have to take into account uh, when you're doing this. And it was just tons of fun. We had, you know, just amazing stories. We would get notes from our customers when we'd come in in the morning, you know, hey, you guys got someone home to see their baby born, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, which you don't really think of when you think of supply chain optimization. Mm. So when I saw NARA, um, and, and so that was done with what was called expert systems or what still is called expert systems that are um, very much human tuned and driven. And when I, when I saw NARA, what I got so excited about was that I I said, these are self-building expert systems. So me, I don't have to go in as kind of an architect and design that kind of optimization of, well, how do I weigh, you know, um, uh, what getting someone home for their baby versus you know driving an extra hundred miles to pick up a load because all of those are are paid miles so you didn't have to kind of set up that that rubric if you will that's what expert systems do and so so what i what i saw with nara is that um they were using data to build those rubrics right and and so that's really kind of cool and what was exciting to me. So, so that I understood because I had the experience there and I like, I get this, but the bigger thing is to get AI adopted from my experience, you really had to have why reason. So we had to have, and we literally called them that at the, at the, um, optimization, the, the supply chain optimization company, we had what we called uh, reason codes. And so we would actually say, you know, this assignment is being made because you know low miles on the head haul and it, you know getting a driver home for an emergency reason and by the way his truck's going to be near a maintenance spot and that's great so all of these things kind of add up and so uh nara also has that so we have we have a what we call transparent ai so it's not a black box you've heard about the black box problem mm-hmm. with ai Every answer that comes out, every piece of advice, if you will, because like I said, we help people build advisors, actually comes with a reason why, or not a reason, but it can be a bunch of reasons
0: why. Why are those reasons so important?
1: Um, there's a few things. You know, there, there is a lot of data that is, people talk about dirty data. I'm a little bit cautious about that because I don't believe that it's dirty data. I just believe life is kind of dirty and um so you know we we work with a company that does um maintenance uh information systems and you know that's what they came to us with they said gosh we have this quality problem our customers you know they're always fat fingering something well it turns out that their fat fingering isn't that big of a problem and it's actually fairly easy to solve i mean there's some complexities there as to should this product really or this this um Uh, piece or part go with this thing that they're trying to repair or not. But sometimes it doesn't look like it should go, but it does because they can't get the other part for five weeks. Right. And so they have to make this part work. And so that's not really dirty data. That's just reality. And so there's a lot of things like that, that if you cleaned up your data, you're going to miss out on a lot of what happens in reality. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so um to be able to understand what's actually happening with your data, having that transparency is important. So I often say to people, you know, the explainability is a thing that they go, yeah, we need explainable AI, but it's not, it's more the understandability than the explainability so that when they first launch their AI, why is it giving me these answers? Because we're natural skeptics. And even if we're told, Hey, look, these algorithms, if they go into place, You are going to be so much better at your ordering. We're going to protect your supply chain so much better. It doesn't matter. It's proven that humans will naturally say, oh, but mine is an exception. My order that I'm trying to put in that you're telling me is the wrong order, that I should order 100 less. We will, even if we know that the computer's right 98% of the time and we're only right 89% of the time, we'll be like, yeah, but this time I'm right. And so that ability to see why, to to, to kind of look at it and say, oh, actually the computer's taking into account something that I wasn't. Like I didn't even know that that other supplier was backed up or hadn't been delivering or we didn't have this in our warehouse. To see what it's thinking, to validate what it's thinking, um, it's especially been shown if you can then interact with it. So if you can go in and say, oh, well, what if I was only ordering 50 instead of a hundred, then would you say what I wanted and see that different answer that, um, brings more credibility to the algorithm. So that's why I say it, you know, explainability gets the billing, but I'd say it's more understandability that, that, um, that, 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 is that is the workhorse
0: that's really cool because that's for the first time the pennies dropped for me because an explainable ai feels like it's telling you and you just go okay versus understanding means i need to understand it and i need to interpret it and then i can action it is that how you see that
1: yeah, and that, that's, you know, so, so the people we worked with, so this is actually fascinating. So okay. let me go back to my other, that, that software where I really kind of, I, so I sort of learned this at Los Alamos, because I worked with material scientists, and I would say, you should configure your, they were films that they were making to conduct as well as, as metal, so plastic film. So I was basically trying to make plastic that conducted like metal, because lots of good things happen. They're easier to make, they're um, lighter weight, you know, all that stuff. So so um, I would say to the material scientists that I worked with, because I was a theoretician working in an applied group, and I would say to them, hey, think about this kind of arrangement of your film. And they look at me and say, why? And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter why, just do it. You know, just the molecule. And they're like, yeah, but you know, when you make things, it's kind of like the, you know, there, there's, there's variances, right? You have all these tolerances. And so they would ask me why. And then I was like, oh. That's really interesting. So I kind of learned that back then, and there were different methods. I would do sensitivity analysis, all of that. There's there's methods. Even I always say, even for the blackest box, there's there's um, night vision goggles. So so anybody that tells you that you you know you can't understand it because it, they're just that's just kind of a they don't actually really know. Um, so sorry, I'm going on a little tangent there, but don't let people tell you that. <laughs> Um, it may take more compute power and you gotta figure it out, but it is possible. Now, what I get really excited about is like I said, really understanding that, um, that how do you explain this to people? And so one of the things that we did at, at the, um, this expert system company that I worked at back in the, in the mid nineties, is we actually would give a test to their management To what was called their load planners, So they're the people who actually they were responsible for the shippers and making sure that the loads got to the place on time and to their driver managers and driver managers, their objective was keep drivers, you know, employed because there's a lot of turnover in trucking. So, so that's their cost. Well, we would give them all this test, like what would you do if, what would you do if, and, and then it would come back and they'd always have different answers, right? Because they're, so this goes back to the objective function. So the bacon for driver managers was keeping drivers happy. The bacon for load planners was keeping shippers happy. And the bacon for executives was making money for the company, right? And, but this quiz that we gave them would make it clear to each of them where they were making different trade-offs. Because again, we had explainable AI back then, and that's exactly what we're doing now. So when people come to us and, you know, again, like when I saw that, I was like, ah, this is what I used to do 20 years ago Um, and got very excited because you have this ability to kind of go in and say, well, but what if I wanted to do this? Or what if I wanted to do that? Which goes back to the understandability piece of it. Did I go off on too much of a tangent? No way, so? but
0: all I could think of when you were explaining all of this was this tree. Like a tr- like how do you visualize this problem? Do you like do you oh. whiteboard? Do you pen and paper? Do you computer screen? Like this must be this tree that goes on in your head. That's this math formula that goes on. How do you do it?
1: Yeah, it is. It You are so right. And it it's, we've had so many disagreements in the company because there's a lot of people that do want to visualize. And I've been kind of anti-visualization because it makes people's head explode. <laughs> Um, and, and so there is, sometimes we do build a decision tree just to kind of get what people are thinking out of it. And then we talk about, um, how the way we're doing it, you know, every single node in that tree could be the top of the tree at any point. Right. So you're not having to start at one point, you know, just like imagine being able to just pull it up and whoop, all of a sudden your tree looks totally different because you, you pop that up there. But, what we've really done, and we have a paper on this. If anybody's interested, just mm. uh, uh, reach out. We have a whole math paper. It's a nerd paper. Um, but one of our our brilliant team members said, actually, how you should really think of it is not really how our graph is laid out, particularly, but how how um, the graph gets activated, and and it's a bit more like you know. Um, Neural networks are often called tensor networks and there's a flow across them. So you start with a certain node, like I like this movie, what other movies might I like? Right, <laughs> so so you're kind of going through like this little flow path to, to figure out which, which movie's on this other side. Well, the reality is all the movies are on the left side and all the movies are on the right-hand side. That's not true in the graph itself, but you could imagine laying it out that way, yeah. right? Yeah did i did i lose you or are we okay so I'm,
0: sorry, I'm just thinking about the movies that i like but i'm doing my best <laughs> <laughs> to try and understand keep going though so you don't It's so it's not a flow you don't you don't draw a flow
1: we we do it's not unusual to do that and when people read our 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 um our paper they understand it better but i what i often say is we're this funky combination of a knowledge graph which is you know you, you know a knowledge graph yep. which is just like Leonardo da Vinci was a painter and a sculptor right and was Italian and so that's that's the knowledge about him and how he's connected um, and uh, and a, a tensor network where there's a flow that optimizes for that. So so I have this knowledge but I also have this optimization that I can get that, that graph to act as a, as a flow.
0: Does this go back to, I read this book about AI and I'm not that full on with it, but in the original days of the AI, it had to follow like an if this, then that type, like da, 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 A or B, da, 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 da. and then it became completely different and it, it basically blew open. Is that, am I on the right path here of like the two different tracks of where AI is going and where are we? So,
1: so that if this, then that was really what we called expert system. So you're exactly right on, right? So that's what I was saying. We had to code kind of everything and you could sort of do code it with statistics, right? So my ifs and thens would, would change based on my input data and, and statistically how that might work out or a cost function. Like I was saying, like it costs X amount to get a driver home to see his baby, um, uh, and then, um, and then what we're doing, like I said, is we're letting, uh, letting the machine figure that out. So, so that's what a neural network. And when they talk about deep learning, you're basically putting data in and letting it figure out what all the weights between connections are. And you're actually even not defining a node at that point. There's no node to say, um, you know, get home uh, and have a bonus for getting home, right? There isn't a node that says that. it, it, it's more like the brain is our brain doesn't really, our neurons aren't um, that way. Although there you'll, you'll see there are like um, search for Halle Berry neuron and and Jennifer Aniston neuron. And there are, uh, there have been shown that for certain uh, overwhelmingly popular things, you will get a neuron that responds to it, which is fascinating. Um, It's usually connections or networks of them.
0: I just can't get over the whole like, it it sounds ridiculously complex. Like it does. It sounds like the. it's not like you turn up, I've got a Mac mini on the table. It's not like you turn up with a Mac mini and you go, okay, Mr. CEO, what would you like to know? Let me apply my AI data scientist little like Siri and it's going to come up with an answer. Like how, where does it start? Where do you go in and do you have these conversations? Do you have like CEOs going, these are the things we're trying to solve for. And then you bring your like ridiculous brain with (laughs) all your neuro nerds (laughs) who, um, come in and these things all run around and then they go, here you go, Mr. CEO, we've got the answer for you or Mrs. CEO. And here's your answer.
1: That is such a great question. (laughs) So, so, and, and I'll tell you, um, uh, the answer is really, it depends. So we have definitely have some customers that come in and say, um, you know, we want to, uh, predict the quality of the output of my, 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 uh, factory. Right. And that's what we want to do. And that's great. And that's totally fine. And we can go in and do that. And, um, oftentimes it's it's more just a, a a game of do we have the right data like i'll give you an example we have um we work with a company that works with veterinarians and um they wanted to advise veterinarians um uh on on what they should do in in certain situations and they had all of their customer support calls and they said Can, can't the machine learn from that and we did we went in and we learned for that so we had the data and then we start giving answers. And then it goes back to that question of, oh, but it's wrong in this case. Well, why is it wrong? Oh, well, because you know what, we were on the phone with them and we didn't make a note that it was probably, you know, if we recommended this, even though it's not in the data, it's it had to have been because this was the case and we just didn't make the note of it, right? So you have a lot of things like that, that you have most of what's in there, but you don't have the whole view of what's in there. So in that case, we backed up and we, we came up with kind of like, okay, what are all the primary cases? How could we learn from some of the data, not all of it, right? And then use all of the data to test on what we learned from which was really fascinating because, you know, like I said, it was different from what we thought. Now, what the other cool thing about that one. So we got to where we were, you know, very high percentage uh, of right for them. Um, And the places that it wasn't right, the score, you could tell that we didn't even have confidence in what the answer was. So just with putting a threshold in, we, we went into production. And the great thing that came out of production in that case was the vet said, Um, because we gave them multiple answers often, depending on where they were in the threshold. So we may give them three options, for example, that they, they were always, um, coming up with one option and they're like, okay, in this case I should do X. And they liked having X, Y, and Z. It made them think differently and Mm -hmm. it made them do different options. So that, that was fun to give them more options than they were used to and that they would have thought of. So they liked that. And The options that they hadn't thought of, they said it educated them. And so our customers just like over the moon, like that was the best thing that we could tell them besides getting the answer right, of course, it was that you just educated our our customers, really. And that's what they got very excited about. So, So when they come in, do they have an objective? Yes. That objective was we want to be able to put an advisor up when um when our our specialty advisors they have a whole a whole group that answers the phone when when a veterinarian calls when our veterinarians you know either were backed up on the phone or we're just not there we're not open and so they were doing an advisor to expand their coverage um and convenience too right not everybody wants to call so if you know one of the vets that we talk to they're like yeah i get out of an emergency surgery at two in the morning You know, I don't even want, even if they were open, I don't even want to call them on the phone. I just want to sit there on my, on my phone, you know, and get an answer like that in the quiet. And so, so, you know, their objective was to expand basically their coverage. But what we ended up doing was doing that, but also educating their base.
0: Mm.
1: So they never came to us and said, can you help educate our base?
0: what advice do you give to people like when you go in and you go someone who's about to embark on an ai project and they they're engaging you what what advice for let's say it's a decent sized team like not a small sort of company a traditional company i don't know i mean any industry doesn't really matter but what advice would you give to that team that are embarking on this project
1: yeah that's such a great question so there there's a few different things that we say is you know be prepared to change the way you're thinking so so if that customer had really stuck with you know no we're gonna you know uh, what is it like if you if you beat the data enough it will confess so uh, (laughs) you know it's like if they had just said no we have to the only way we will learn is from our case and not back up and be willing to do the cases but also that that kind of decision tree you know, overlay those two things, um, I, I, I think that's where, and so that's where you'd have a problem. So that's one of the things I always say is be, be willing to change your sp- perspective and learn and understand when you have, you know, that that's again, why I say it, it's not just the data or the algorithm, but also the objective. And anytime one of those changes, you need to consider changing the other consider, I don't say you have right. to, but you need to consider it. So that's one of the things that I say is pay attention to that holy trinity of AI and constantly be monitoring yourself. Did I change one of those? And if so, what impact did that have on the other two and have open dialogues on it? One of the biggest problems with, with AI is that, um, and and you brought this up earlier, it's often being led by the, um, uh uh, by by data scientists or ml engineers and they aren't software engineers and so having the two together because the software engineers are going to what is going to be the people who incorporate the ai into their software and they're they're used to doing things like that i mean we we've been integrating different bits of software for a long time so how do i integrate that well um and also bringing those data scientists and ML engineers onto your product team so uh you know and we, again we know how to do that we we built product teams for a lot we used to suck at it but you know we, we we built we know that good product teams have a designer on them you know we used to leave UX out of the whole thing we used to just have You know, MRD, back in my day, you know, you had an MRD, a marketing requirement stock, and you basically threw that over the wall to the engineers with some pizza and, you know, kept your fingers crossed that what came out was a good was the product that they understood. But it often didn't because you weren't interactively designing together between the product manager and the engineer and the UX. And then I always say you need the data person in there now. So you have these four people now. That should be mixing it up then that's what's going to make a great um ai product
0: it sounds to me like you have a pretty important role when it comes to consulting so that have to be consulting and learning and cultural development but is that a platform as well like an algorithm or do you work with other algorithms like how does it how does it work
1: yeah that's a great question um (laughs) you know we're a startup and we like our customers so i would say that we do um, I, I I would almost say counseling at times <laughs> rather than consulting.
0: Oh, you're gonna say, do you want to do an off the record version for this? And you just like it's counseling. No, that's definitely on the record. Yeah, keep going.
1: No, no. I my customers would say that too. They're like, yeah. no, that's one of the reasons why we love them because yeah. they they do this and they. Um, I, I think part of the reason for that is we don't want to be consultants. Like we don't want to track our time and mm-hmm. do all of that. So our goal as a company is not services like that. we And we work very hard with our product that anytime we find ourselves doing work like that, that we, that we automate it. Um, so, so, so that's not what we want our revenue generation to be, which I think is why we kind of naturally, uh, naturally counsel rather than uh, consult. (laughs) Um, But I'd say that, you know, we definitely help our customers with how do you structure for this? How do you think about it? What do you need in place? We have um, the prospect that I was talking to today um, came as a referral from another customer and, and, you know, we told them, Hey, look, until you have these things in place, it's probably not a good fit that said we're happy to talk to you as you go along and get those things in place so if you Mm. want to call us every two months and kind of say hey we were thinking about this and we learned this and we saw this we'll do that Mm. and and that for us just allows us to learn how organizations are going through this um learn what they're thinking about for their problems um and it's not a real heavy lift i mean we we've seen fortunately we do have enough customers we have enough customers that have gone into production we've seen a lot of it although they sound a lot very different they're they're often not really they all think that they're individual and all of that but the same patterns are there particularly when you're talking about you know data software
0: objectives what are these customers getting what's the value
1: so um, it can be as direct as, you know, we, we've we increased conversion for customers, you know, two to seven X, you know, it can be that direct. And wow. in, in terms of, you know, average, uh, average order value increases by 50% and conversion increases, like I said, by three to five X. So it can be that direct. Um, it can be reduced maintenance. So when I talk about something like the, um, like that expert system, we've had several people that have replaced, you know, hardwired expert systems. They were just getting too big to maintain. So uh, factory, they had an expert system that was built with about 50 different parameters, but as they were adding sensors, right. Cause they're putting sensors all throughout their process that that was taking it up into the hundreds. And now I don't have to go in and recode. One of my healthcare customers, same kind of thing. They had a decision tree. COVID happens. You have to rewrite the entire decision tree.
0: Mm.
1: Right. And so that kind of, that's one of the reasons why they went and said, okay, we have to have something different now. So you're seeing more people go that way where they had um, uh, decision trees, expert systems before, and now they need something that's more agile because things are changing. So the benefit there is just I don't have to keep up with that and I can better manage um, supply and demand. Yeah. Uh, uh, on something like that, um, and and sometimes it's you know, hey, what the the factory? So the factory problem was I can do a narrow. So for them, it's process engineering. So if I deliver higher quality, that can be fine with my customer, but I paid more to do that because it just costs more. So what I really want to do is I know what my customer spec of quality is, and I want to keep the tightest band. Of what I delivered to them. I can't go below or I can't Mm -hmm. deliver it, but if I go higher, I'm paying more. Mm -hmm. So, really keeping that within a certain threshold. Or, um, I have a customer I mentioned, I think, with the maintenance MIS, and what they're the the benefit for them really is uh, better optimization between corrective and preventative maintenance. So, I can help them detect when they should be doing preventative maintenance, like, you know. Change, change the oil every 5,000 miles. Yeah. We're all told that. Well, we yeah. all know that the way we drive our cars are so different that that's just a general rule. And for me, it may be better at 3,000 miles and for you, it may be better at eight. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that you want to do if you're running maintenance for your customers who have their heavy equipment, mm. right? you really want to tailor it to how they're doing it. So you want to understand for some people, it may be better to wait until it breaks because they're right near a depot and it's not going to take them any time to get it, to get that fixed. But someone who's out in the middle of nowhere, that isn't going to have, that's going to be, you know, having the the tractor sit there for four months because they can't get the part in that's different. And that's the kind of thing that um, you can optimize when you have AI. So, so some of it's operational and, and people are more looking at what's the ROI. Well, some of the ROI that I'm doing there is I'm just saving engineers, mm-hmm. right? So I used to, and I'm not, not like I'm replacing them. Everybody needs more engineers now because they're developing software, but I don't have to have three full-time engineers maintaining a, yeah. a, an expert system.
2: Are you seeing a trend in certain industries that are wanting to, to go forward with, with AI or is, is it all different?
1: yeah it's not i mean there's definitely companies that are focused on different you know retail is a big one right because they're seeing that really direct roi Mm -hmm. um and they and they like that uh for us because we have a more general platform it's really much more people that are um very serious about their digital transformation so it's people that are saying hey i really do have to change i've got to start thinking about you know, I'm not just digitizing that data. I'm going to start using it, and and it's like the discussion I told you we were having today, where they hadn't really spent time. I mean, their their CEO was embarrassed to tell me that a lot of their um, operations side was done on on spreadsheets. And I said, well, remember that example that I gave you before, where I was saying we brought together data from the ERP system and. Um, and from the CAD CAM system and from the product lifecycle management system, that was three systems for that problem. There were actually twelve. The other nine were Excel spreadsheets.
2: Mm. That's mind blowing. I wouldn't have. I just can't believe that still happens. And I, you know, I'm not techie, but I, would, I'm, yeah. I'm surprised at that.
0: It's probably because they haven't taken that system approach. They haven't done what you've said, which is actually mapped out the journey. And I was actually going to mention it. They said, you focus on the companies that are focused on digital transformation. I'm like, is there anyone out there not focused? But then it dawned on me, they might all be focused on it but they don't really know what digital transformation is.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. They they don't know, And, and to your point, you know, do they come to me with a problem to solve? Usually they do, but most of the problems they don't even they don't know how to ask, and mm. and I understand well, that too. Yeah, and I right. don't know their business, so I don't know. But I try and give them examples and talk to them about what data they have and what you know. Another another example is a company that um, we're talking to. They're not they're not a customer yet, but they will be. Um, where uh they they do um supplies for their customers so they manage basically the supply chain for their customers and have things um ready for them so um i'll, I'll just use you know let, let's pretend they do manufacture tractors and so what they'll do is make sure that there's that that every farm has a a, a maintenance depot if you will it's not that uh, that's all done with um with spreadsheets
0: so no collective intelligence they can't learn from it's everyone working individually
1: this is one of the reasons why i've said that that microsoft if they could figure it out is the dark ho- horse and this whole ai thing you know mm. you have google and and uh and you have amazon but microsoft's that dark horse because they actually have the data they don't think they've realized it yet i've oh, told them really but they but they were kind of looking at me like serious yeah because they had me in to talk to them about azure
0: but isn't Uh, it a privacy isn't it a privacy thing like because if you've got proprietary because microsoft's yeah you're collecting all of it and i do think they're a dark horse too because i think they've got a lot of enterprise information but also they're very like hands off the data that's the customer's data but if the customer that's goes, that's great. I'm not trying
1: it. to use it for other people. That's where I think we get into all these kinds of problems. I mean, use it for them. Like this is the customer, you know, that customer that I was talking about. That it's all done on spreadsheets. It's like they're but, they're not going to use it for other people. They're just using it for
0: themselves. But this is risky because then I'm. A, so, Hi, my name's Dave. I'm from the New York Times, and um, so you're saying to me, Microsoft snooping in on people's data within the enterprise like you can see where i'm going with this right no no
1: they're just building the tools for for me to use it right as if i'm if i'm this company make it easier for me to just ease into ai right that's what this isn't about microsoft sucking up that data now i do know people that are worried about that i know one of our healthcare customers was extraordinarily concerned about going to um, Google and, and Amazon, uh, particularly when Amazon was in the, what's was the name of that health thing that they were doing anyway? Uh, yeah. So they, they really thought they were going to, um, you know, really go into that space. And so they felt more comfortable with Microsoft because Microsoft had been a enterprise, uh, software provider for a long time. So yeah. I, it's not really, I, I think that kind of thing, while I do think, um, that's the mentality, particularly of a of a Google, right? Because they've they've made money off of other people's data for a long time. Yep. Microsoft hasn't. Yep. You don't have to in this case. This is all just about enabling these people who own that data. It's their data. It's just about enabling them to use their own data.
0: Hey, finish this sentence for us. AI will dot 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 dot. dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The sound effect. Oh, you
0: know
1: wow! Helpful? Oh, I won a really good answer. Solve my calendaring problems.
0: There you go. <laughs> a full circle. I love it. Not yet. Not according to you. <laughs> You'll have to do it.
2: Yeah. Oh, that, that was really.
1: Yeah, that was really bad. I'm sorry. No. Uh, Why not? No, I. I really think. I, I. I. In all seriousness, that was a funny answer or tried to be funny. Um. I. I would say. I, AI has the opportunity to make us happier, and and there's and and there's really a specific reason why I'm saying that is because Nara actually means happy in Greek, and oh. so it was actually named Happy Logics. So mm-hmm. Nara Logics means Happy Logics, and so it's really our goal is is um, you know that that uh, Claire talked about the the. Um, Engagement and customer engagement and happiness and fulfillment—that's really what we're trying to do. So I think AI will make us happier, even though it has the—it uh, it has some potential that um, to go the other way that we need to be careful about.
0: Absolutely yep. brilliant! Great answer. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We had a fantastic yes, thank conversation. you.
1: It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate
0: it. Thanks, Yana. <laughs>